Britain, let's turn to the first part of today's 123 show. Now, after the end of the Vietnam War in 1975, hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese refugees fled the country for a new life. In the next 20 years, more than 200,000 would travel by boat to Hong Kong. Caroline Wu was eight years old when she boarded the people smuggling freighter, the San An, in May 1979, to travel a thousand miles from Vietnam to Hong Kong. The crew would abandon the ship in Macau, escaping with the gold payment, and leave the refugees to steer the ship to Hong Kong. They couldn't stop the vessels, so it drove into Lee Kong Wao Beach in Lantau. Here, Anna Marie Evans speaks with Caroline Wu in California, where she works as a pharmacist. Her account features in the new book Along the Southern Boundary by former Marine Police Commander Les Bird. So when we first got on, we were assigned to the lower deck and it was really cramped. My mom had to like kind of crawl in and then she found a space lean against the wall of the ship and then we my brother and I kind of lean against her. Everybody was pretty packed. We were packed like sardine in there. It was kind of really stuffy, difficult to breathe. But as a child, I don't seem to mind too much. I'm sure my mom was, it was very hard and difficult for her. Was it your first time at sea? Yes, it was. It was our first time at sea. And I didn't know how to swim at that time. <laughs> it was quite scary. Um, I think most the entire time, I was scared. And were you seasick? I don't remember being seasick. I remember very tired, very hungry. Uh, I remember at first we had some food that my grandmother made that morning because my cousin said, don't bring anything. There's no room. You just have to just get a little bit of things and just leave. And so we went to my grandparents' home and to say goodbye and to pick up my aunt, uncle, and my two cousins also that went with us. And my grandmother that morning, she made some dry bread and some rice cake. Basically, they're just rice that are, you know, mushed up into a ball. Or sometimes they're flattened. And then sometimes she would kind of stain it flavor, did a flagrant banana leaf, and it turned kind of like a green color. And then she said to take it with us. And my mom was like, no, I can't. There's no room. And then Mom thought that there would probably be some kind of food, or I don't know what she was thinking, actually, but she thinks that there would be something for us. But my grandmother insists. She said, you have to take it. I spent all morning, and you might not have any food to eat. And thank God my mom did. She took some, not all of them, but she took some, which gave us some food to eat for the first few days. And then we ran out of food after that. I don't, honestly don't remember what we ate after that, but we the water that we drank was from a oil barrel, so it was tainted with oil. It was very difficult to drink. My cousin, she had some, you know, maxi pad, so she used that to filter the water, so make it more bearable. So that was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of a highlight for the, the, the drinking. And of course, this would have been. The, was this the last time you saw your grandparents? Yes, that was the last time I saw my grandparents. Did you know where you were going? No, I did not know where I was going. I don't think my mom, I asked my mom and she doesn't know either. She said it was a chance to take and she was going to do it anyway. We we're going to do it. We did not know where we we're going. 
She said that she was depressed most of the time on the ship. We do not know we're going to live or die. I have no idea. I just follow whatever, you know, was as instructed to sit, to walk, to go wherever. So there were 1,400, so 1,400 refugees on board. Now, aside from your family, did you know anybody else? Were there sort of people from your town or from... Yes. We have a lot of cousins that were on there. Actually, they were a little bit... They were more wealthy. We didn't have the money. So we actually borrow money from them in order to pay for our way to get on that ship. Where were you traveling from in Vietnam? We were in Yongdao in Vietnam. So we were in Yongdao, and we that morning we went to a place called Mom said it was it was a Quan Chi or Quin Chi or something like that. It was like kind of a little a little dock. There's a field of grass, and there's ship that would come in. And over the night, we thought that we would get on the ship that day, but instead we had to stay like out in the open. Some people, I guess, had some shelter. We were just laying on the ground. Till the next morning, there were just hundreds of us on the ground sleeping with mosquito bites and everything. And I remember getting up in the morning, there was water, there was some bucket of water and a toothbrush. People were sharing, giving us some water and stuff, and we were just sharing stuff to clean ourselves before we get onto the ship or the freighter. How long did it take you to come to Hong Kong? Honestly, as a child, I can't really remember time and space, you know, time and date too much. Yes. But it felt so long. And after reading, you know, the book, it seemed like, I don't know, about close to a month. Yes. Approximately. You, I think you were yeah. you're grounded on, uh, are you grounded on Hainan Island for a while too? Yes, we did. About two weeks or so. What happened was that there was some reef, I guess, we caught on to it and it punctured a hole in the ship. And we were actually on that level when where the water was gushing in. And I remember my mom grabbing my brother, holding him, and then holding my arm, my hand, leading me up to this wooden stairway. And, um, and this man, because everybody was, you know, like people just start jumping up, a whole bunch of men start jumping up and try to plug this hole, this water, it was just coming up, coming up. It was like this, it's like like a fire hydrant kind of like, but not to the extent that it was high up, but it was like maybe three feet high or so, gushing out of the boat. And the man, the man said to my mom, where are you going, lady? There's nowhere to go. Just sit down. My mom was just like saying, well, I have two kids. I need to go. I need to, to get to, I need to take care of them. I need to save, you know, take them to safety. And, she, and he said, there's nowhere to go. We're working on it. Just sit down. I remember looking back and um, there's just a moment of just complete, like my life was in slow motion at that point for a few seconds. And I looked back to the sea of just faces staring back at me, so exhausted, so lifeless, hopeless. People were just sitting everywhere. People were on beams with their leg hanging and arms grabbing on to the to the beam. So truly there was no place to go. So we sat down and just wait. 
approximately 30 minutes later, they plugged the hole up. It's kind of assumed that it's 30 minutes. It seemed that like, yeah. It's very frightening for a seven-year-old. Yeah, it was. It was, um, I, I remember being always afraid. It was just in a constant state of fear. And sometimes numbness. There, I have like period of very clear memory and period where I just don't remember anything. I just, yeah. When we were in Hainan, the government actually took some of our money to repair the boat and they took it to another part of the island to repair and then they brought it back. And I remember that that morning that we had to get back onto the boat. So I did not know where we were going. All I knew is that we had to walk for a very long, long distance on the beach. And then I saw the boat and I was like, oh my God, in my head, do we have to get back on that again? Mm. I didn't want to get back on that thing. And my, I asked my mom, I said, do we have to get back on it? And she goes, yeah, we do. I just like, my heart just sunk. I was like, oh God. So we went on, but this time I didn't stay below deck. We stay on the second level, which was better because there was, we were closer to the stair. So in the daytime, we can at least see the, the sun beaming down the stair and get some fresh air. And then when you start to approach Lantau, so the, the crew is abandoned, it was extraordinary. The, the crew abandons the Senon, aware that the two previous crews of two people smuggling boats that had come in over the previous few months, had, uh, the crews had been arrested, so they're trying to make a getaway. But they leave the people on the Senon to drive the boat or the vessel into Hong Kong waters, so they actually crash it into the beach on Lo Ke Wang in Lantau. How much do you remember of that? I remember it was chaotic. People would start shouting. The former South Vietnamese army officer Kang Dang was among those at the helm trying to steer the ship and crash it into Lo Ke Wan Beach. Here, Les Bird reads Kang's account of that dramatic entry into Hong Kong. Throughout that morning, most of the refugees were packed into the lower deck where the air was terribly hot and humid. Hearing Hong Kong mentioned, people climbed up from below to look around. As we came to some land, we were spotted by the Marine police boat. They immediately turned on warning lights and shouted loudly over the loudspeaker, Stop! This is Hong Kong territorial waters. However, the Marine police launch was connected by ropes to several fishing boats and needed to release themselves. They had to cut the towing ropes quickly before being able to give chase at full speed. Of course, we didn't want to be intercepted, and the Senon accelerated at full speed. We could see through binoculars that there was a white line of sandy beach directly to our left, so we turned the ship's wheel until the beach was directly ahead. This was our target. We could hear the sirens behind us, but the Senon freighter kept forging ahead as the marine police began to catch up. On May the 26th, 1979, at 2.30 p.m., with no captain, no crew, no compass, no navigator, or communication system, and with refugees manning it, this dilapidated and disabled Senon cargo ship carrying 1,433 refugees headed straight for the deserted beach. At the ship's helm were community representatives, former sailors of the South Vietnamese Navy, as well as us army guys. There were lots of nervous and excited shouting. Amid a mix of loud cheering and screams of the refugees, the ship crashed aground on the sandy beach and tilted to one side. It was just 
rushing, getting off, people rushing, getting off the boat. The younger, the like, those that are strong and capable can swim, they would jump the ship because the instruction was for them to jump and to get on shore so that they will be accepted by Hong Kong because we do not want to go back into back again. That ship cannot, it cannot sail again. It will not survive that journey. We cannot go anymore. This is it for us. So they we were instruct that if you are capable, jump and swim ashore. And I remember climbing down the staircase. It was rustic. It was old. And then there was people following behind me. And then it was just rushing, rushing. So you're on a metal ladder? Yeah, it was a ladder of some sort. So I start going down this ladder. And all of a sudden, it just stopped. It just ended. It's like it's broken. So you're hanging off the and side was, of the ship? Yes, I was hanging off the side of the ship. And I didn't want to go further. My cousin was in the water at that time. So she she told me to just come on down, just keep going and, you know, jump. And actually, I didn't want to. And then she said, it's okay. I got you. Just jump. It's okay. You know, and then I looked up and I see all these people are coming down. I have to. So I let go. And then I just kind of blacked out at that point. I don't remember what happened. The next thing I remember was that I heard a faint sound her my name she called my name faintly i kind of heard it and then i didn't respond and then she called me again and then she shook my hand which was around her neck and then i woke up from that and then i found myself in the middle of what halfway to the beach and halfway from the ship because i looked back and i saw we were halfway in the middle of this water and i was on her back and she told me to just hang on tight and then she swam the entire way to shore. Where where was your brother and mother at this point? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was just chaotic. How did you feel when you got on shore? I feel better, definitely, than being in the water because I was really scared. And then, oh, I, I was actually happy, I think, because my mom, we were united. My mom, my brother, my cousin, my aunt and my uncle. Yeah. We were, we were happy to be on shore, definitely. What happens to you then? You're on that beach. You're then collected by marine police vessels. So when we got there um, that day, we were collected by the marine that night. It was late at night. It was a big shift where like the mouth kind of open up and then you can move lots of people and even tank onto it. I remember it was a, like a, a military ship. The soldier came. It was late at night that night, and the soldier carried my brother one on one arm and carried me on the other arm up that ship. And then it was too crowded, so we went back onto the beach, and we sat there and waited. And then he whistled, entertaining us. And I thought that was one of the nicest moments of my journey. That was one of the best moments. Yeah, it, it felt nice to have someone actually care for us you know taking us somewhere to safety and sitting there being with us whistling the song to us sitting there my brother on his right side and i was on his left side looking out into the ocean it was really nice 
And that was former Vietnamese refugee Caroline Wu talking to Anne-Marie Evans about her voyage aboard on San On. Her account features in Les Bird's new book, Along the Southern Boundary. Wow, what an account. Thank you so much to Anne-Marie Evans for such a fantastic uh, interview with Les Bird and also to Caroline Wu for sharing her incredible story. Thank you, Anne-Marie.